Welcome to North Bay Christ the King. You're listening to our weekly service message podcast. Join us every Sunday morning at 9.30 and 11 o'clock at our campus location in Birch Bay, Washington. Thank you for tuning in. that and um, yeah, it was great. Well, uh, if, I, if you haven't met me before, I'm Tyler. I'm one of the pastors here. Dan is usually the guy to, who stands right here, but today it's me. So um, we are, uh, yeah, we're going to embark on the next part of this series called We Believe. Um, Dan kicked us off last week in this, this series, and basically the idea behind this is we're just asking the question, why do we believe what we believe? As Christians, why do we believe what we believe? And so last week, Dan walked us through why we believe the Bible is the Word of God. And he talked about how in our culture, we, um, we have this, um, this idea of relativism, that truth is relative, that you can define your own truth. And so how do we um, look at the authority of God and have the authority of Scripture if it's if it's a relative truth, and it's not, not the case that it's, uh, you know, we believe that the Bible is the authoritative word of God. And so today we get to look at an equally polarizing belief in our culture, which is awesome. We get to look at another, uh, another defining belief uh, for Christians, and it's the belief that there's only one God. It's the belief that there's only one God. Now, um, that's not a popular thing to bring up at work. Um, at school, maybe with family members who, who don't believe the same way, this idea that there's only one God. Um, you know, you could lose a friend over that kind of discussion. But if we believe the God who's revealed in the Bible, he says over and over again that he is the one and the only God. He's the God. He's the, the, the one and only God in the world. And so what that means for us is that we believe in an exclusive God in an inclusive culture. Our culture today, Dan talked about relativism last week, and today we're going to talk a little bit about pluralism. And pluralism is the idea that all beliefs are equally valid and that we shape our own truth. And so this idea of there only being one God, it kind of comes in conflict with uh, this idea of pluralism. The, uh, and, and I think the real reason why this can be awkward is because we don't want to tell people that they're wrong. Is that true? We don't want to tell people that they're wrong. We don't want to say, I'm right and you're wrong. I know better and you don't. That's awkward, right? Anybody felt that awkwardness before? That, that idea... That we, that we know the truth or we have this one way and that others don't, it can create natural tension in us. It's kind of like this time when I was in college and I lived in a house with five, uh, five of us guys in one house. Maybe you've been there, um, you know, in your own life. But I lived with four other roommates and we were all pretty different from each other. And sometimes we would have interesting conversations, to say the least. Probably the most awkward conversation we had was with uh, my roommate, Greg. And I changed his name so that he can remain innocent uh, in this. But um, one day, my roommates were sitting around the house, and some, somehow, I don't, I don't remember how, but we got on the topic of Bigfoot. Started talking about Bigfoot. And 
what we found out is that Greg said, well, basically Greg said he was completely convinced that Bigfoot was real. And the re- yeah, that's right. Woo! Bigfoot. Uh, thanks. Uh, he was convinced that Bigfoot was real because when he was five years old, he, without a shadow of a doubt, said he saw Bigfoot from his bedroom window run across his yard. So he was just completely adamant that Bigfoot was real. Now, just so you know, Greg was this big football player guy. So he's not somebody that you just want to, like, correct right away. And he had kind of a short fuse. So, um, but he would continue to assert that, oh, Bigfoot's real, man. I saw him with my own eyes. I saw him with my own eyes. And have you ever been in that situation where you just smile and nod? Uh-huh, uh-huh, you know? And everything in me just wanted to bust up laughing. And I held it together. And I should say, if there are Bigfoot believers out there, I, I don't truly know if Bigfoot's really could be real. So I'm not going to deny the, the, the possibility that he could be real. I just think that if he was real, we would have found him by now. I'm just going to say that. Anyways, that's besides the point. Um, so I held it together, but my roommate Kurt did not hold it together. And he just busted up laughing, called it ridiculous, and then everything went downhill, names were said, and it was just every, every shred of civility broke down in that moment. It was, it was sad. Um, but the point is, is that we don't, we don't like telling people that they're wrong, or we don't like um, disagreeing with people or creating conflict around this idea of beliefs. And that might be because we don't want to stick our neck out, and we don't want to feel like a jerk, uh, we don't want to be rejected by people. Um, it could also be that we just deeply care about people and we don't want we, we to create tension in our uh, relationships. We don't want to upset them. But if we believe in an exclusive God, that there is only one God, in an inclusive culture, there's going to be some conflict. There's, it's going to be awkward. No one can get away from the awkward if you really hold this belief deep down. We are forced to embrace it. And so that's what we're going to do, do today. We're going to look at that, what the Bible says about this belief in one God. Uh, Christ the King Church has defined this belief in one God this way. It says this, There is only one God, creator of all things, infinitely perfect and eternally existing as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So today we're going to take that look at like, what does it mean to have this exclusive God in an inclusive culture? What I'm not going to do today is try to convince you scientifically that there's one God. All I want to do is open up the Bible and, and look at the, the God that's revealed there, why we believe that, that there is one God. Because I believe that as we open up the Bible, God reveals himself to us, that that's the real proof that you need. It's not from me, it's from God himself, it's from the Holy Spirit. So we're going to look today about what God has revealed about himself in Scripture. Uh, Scripture is where we as Christians understand who we are. But we need to understand that we don't just pick up what we believe in here from Scripture often, we also pick up beliefs from our current culture. And often we see truth through the lens of what we've experienced, what we've been taught, and uh, 
you know, just what our background is, all of those things. We have our own lens that we, we look through. So what we're going to talk about today again is, is this idea of pluralism, that we live in a pluralist society. And plural obviously means more than one, that there's more than one way or perspective. And at, it, at the core level, pluralism is just the idea that all perspectives are equally valid. And on one level, that's not a bad thing. Um, because we need to value people. We need to value the opinions of people. We need to listen well to each other, treat each other with respect. Um, I want to live in a society where people from all faiths feel welcome and that they can flourish. You know, we need to be able to dialogue without yelling about our faith and discuss with people who believe differently. You know, that's a good thing. We We aren't supposed to use our faith like a hammer and just smash what everyone else believes. The problem with pluralism is when it becomes, when it affects us on this heart level. Some call it religious pluralism. It goes further to say if all perspectives are equally valid, that must mean then that all roads lead to God. That we can define God, who, we can define who God is for ourselves. We can define our own path. We can create our own way to God. You know, some would say that the reality of God is made up of just different perspectives and that there's no one religion that has a corner on the market when it comes to truth. Some would say that each faith sees God from their own unique perspective, like we all have God in our own, our own different angles, and that maybe one faith is, is uh, uh, you know, God's too big for just one faith to have all the answers. And if we kind of buy into this idea at a heart level, it's, it's kind of the easy way to go, right? It's like, okay, you can have your way, I can have my way. Um, it gives us that freedom to live and let live. It takes the pressure off. But if you think about it, if there is a God, and he has revealed himself specifically, then he defines reality for us, and we don't define reality for him. That God defines who we are. And we don't, because he's God. And so God should define us, and we don't get to define who God is. It says this in Isaiah 64, 8. It says, But now, O Lord, you are our father, we are the clay, and you are our potter, and we are all the work of your hand. Isaiah is putting this in perspective. You're the creator, we're the created. You're the potter, we're the clay. We don't get to define who you are. You get to define who we are because you've created us. So according to scripture, God creates us and defines us. Uh, He sculpts us. He makes us beautifully in his image. But he doesn't give us the option to create a God out of whatever we want to serve. We don't get to customize God to fit our own life. It's this idea that God has the authority. Uh, when my kids, my kids are still little, but when uh, the youngest was little, we, uh, we used to say this phrase a lot. We used to say, I'm the boss, you're the applesauce. Anybody else use that phrase? <laughs> I'm the boss, you're the applesauce. And in the same way, God is kind of saying this, like, hey, listen, I'm God, you're not. I get to define you, you don't get to define me. And so, faced with this, Uh, This is what we fight with in our culture. We fight this. Our temptation in our culture is to blend conflicting truths. 
I want to talk about what each of these could be. What, what are these truths that we could blend? One temptation could be that we blend God and other faiths. That we try to blend God and other faiths and we say that all roads lead to God. That all paths are equally, equally valid. This is that idea of religious pluralism. That I have my truth, you have your truth, and that's fine. And, um, you know, some, sometimes you see, like, uh, th- this idea of coexistence, which is gr- great. Like, we should be able to coexist. We should be friends, neighbors, all of that. Um, but there's something about our faith that says we have to look deeper at the truth of who God is. Because we aren't allowed to change God is to fit our cultural moment. Because God's not going to stop being who he is. Another temptation that we could have is to blend God and other cultural ideology. And this might hit a little closer to home because I'm going to talk about the P word, politics, okay? So bear with me. Um, Have you noticed that people care about politics in this country? A little bit. The passion level is a little high on politics. I mean, I would say that people are almost religious about politics. You know, this is the way. Believe this way. You know, many people put their ultimate hope in, the, in, a, in a political ideology more than Jesus. You know, there's several different ideologies that people hold on to in our culture. It could be conservatism, liberalism, libertarianism, which uh, Ron Swanson, if anybody watches Parks and Rec, uh, socialism, um, it could be progressive gender identity, Tea Party patriotism. There's all these different ideologies that that people want you to attach yourself to. And naming some of these might just stir the pot. It might might make us feel a little bit on edge. And there might be some people who say, "How, how could a Christian be a Democrat? Or how could a Christian be a Republican? And I can say those are some pretty good points. Uh, There, you know, sometimes... I don't know how one could be fully one or the other, especially today. You know, that we fully put ourselves with one party or fully put ourselves with another. Because often we can hold on to these cultural ideologies stronger than we hold on to Jesus. And that's a trap. We can let what we hear on TV and the radio shape our view of God instead of encouraging or or pursuing an active relationship with the living God of the universe. You remember what Jesus said to Pontius Pilate. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. You know, Paul says, let your minds be set on things above, not things down here on earth. And so God is calling us to live above political ideologies. We can also be in danger of blending God. This is the last blending part. Blending God and cultural norms. Cultural norms you could also call the, the, the idols of our culture. Every culture has had idols in it. Every culture has had things other than God that they worship. You know, we can find God but still hold on to cultural idols. I can give you a historical example. The Emperor Constantine uh, is, the, is the emperor who uh, legalized Christianity in the, the Roman Empire, made it legal. Um, And when he was 40, he became a Christian himself. But paganism was really strong in the Roman culture at that time. And so instead of saying, okay, I accept 
Jesus or reject paganism. He said, I'll just do both at the same time. And that was pluralism in his heart. I'm going to worship Jesus at one point in the day, and I'm going to worship the sun god at the other point of the day. And we, we might not worship the sun god today, and we definitely don't because we wouldn't live in Washington if we <laughs> worship the sun god. Um, but we have other idols in our culture that we worship. We have other idols that are way more subtle than an actual physical being that we worship more than God. The things that we live for that are apart from God. Um, they've been described often, if you could reduce the Western idols to three things, it would be money, sex, and power. That those are the three things that we tend to worship more than God. Those are the three things that we tend to live for more than God. I like how John Piper put it. He said, money, sex, and power, three precious gifts from God, three dangers ready to destroy our souls, three beautiful possibilities for worship and love. If we're living under God's rule, money, sex, and power are great things. But if we are living for those things apart from God's rule, those are dangerous things that can destroy our soul. And we can worship that idol that takes us away from God. And so this idea of the oneness of God, it confronts all of that pluralism that I just talked about. The fact that there's only one God. And God speaks for himself consistently through scripture. He speaks to the fact that he is the only God. He is the only thing worthy of worship throughout scripture. And in Deuteronomy 6, um, God is preparing his people Israel to take the promised land. And this is what he declares to them. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. This is known as the Shema in Hebrews, or to the Hebrews. It's the greatest commandment. This is the commandment that above anything else, the Hebrews were supposed to remember, to, uh, to write on their hands, their forehead, to, to teach their children. This was the core truth that everything else hinged on, was this truth that, that God is one, and that we're supposed to love him with everything we have. That was the core truth. We're supposed to worship him alone. And so you can notice what that response uh, is, is that God leaves no room in our hearts for idols. He says, I am God. And how are we supposed to respond? Notice that he doesn't ask for our submission. He asks for our love. He doesn't ask for our submission. He asks for our love. Why? Because what he's interested in is our heart. He's not interested in us, our duty, and all the great things we can do. He's interested in our heart. God is painted in Scripture almost like, like a jealous lover, like a God who loves us so much that he wants to take away anything else that could get in the way from us loving him. He loves us as his children, and in response, he wants us to love and seek him. It's not because he wants to be a killjoy. It's because he knows that the best life we can live is in an actual relationship with him. Um, one thing that put this in perspective for me was parenting. Uh, I'm a parent of three kids, eight, five, and two. You can pray for me. Um, but I don't want my kids to submit to me because they fear me or they have to. 
Um, I am as guilty as anyone as being the grumpy dad. Like, get over here, you know. I, sometimes that slips, you know, and you can slip into that, I want you to do what I want you to do right now. And, and you, you can, you know, every dad knows that tension where, where the, the patience reaches a limit and then it's just over. Um, but I don't want them to submit to me because they fear me. I want them to submit to me because they know that I love them and that I want what's best for them and that they can trust me because I love them and then they respond in love. That's what I want for my kids. But instead, you know, sometimes we do, we'd snap in uh, and to scare them into submitting. But not like us, God wants our obedience to come from that loving heart, to come from a heart of love uh, that we have in response to God because we know God. Because we know God, we can love God. Because he has taken every measure to show that he loves us and to reach out to us. I want you to see the jealousy of this one God from Isaiah 42.8 as he speaks to his people. He says this, I am the Lord and that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. I am the Lord, that is my name, meaning... I'm God and I know it, okay? I'm God and I know who I am. I'm not confused about who I am. I am God. And because I'm God, I'm not going to allow other things to share my glory. I'm not going to allow other things to get in the way. I'm not going to allow you to worship things that are meaningless. I want you to worship the true God. So God won't accept our pluralism. The God of the Bible, he can't jive with other gods. He doesn't mix well. If you brought him to a party, he might not mix well with others. Um, God is unblendable. We talked about all these things, all these ways we try to blend God to, to make our situation neat. But he's unblendable. As much as me, we might want to, he, he won't mix. So my question as we look at this is, is are you trying to mix God? with something else? Is there something that you're sharing God's glory with? Is there something that you're, you're worshiping right alongside with God? Being a Christ follower means we constantly have to be looking inside. We constantly have to be looking inside. We constantly have to be, uh, you know, the word repentance. Like, God, I admit that I've cared way too much about my job this week, and I'm just going to give it to you. Or I've cared way too much about what people think of me, and I'm just going to give it to you. It's not, God doesn't respond in anger when we do that. Again, he responds in love. And it's this rhythm of repentance where we learn how to love with our whole heart. Some of the things that I've had to give up in my life, they, they, they're softer versions of the, those idols, that, that money, sex, and power idol. It's this softer version called comfort. You know, where, where I want to create sort of a Costco life for me, where I have all the, all the food I need, uh, where I have a, a nice home that's comfortable, where I never have to leave. I don't even have to get out of the house. I can, I can order something on Amazon. Um, you know, anything I need will be shipped right to my door. I've had to often surrender that ideal of a comfortable life. Of, of this is what I'm working for, that all my decisions are based on can I create a comfortable life for myself. I, sometimes I've worshipped that comfortable life. And there have been times when God's called me to things that have felt over my head. 
that have felt uncomfortable. Some things have felt super uncomfortable, but I just had to say, okay, okay, God. Because the only way we can grow and move forward is when we say yes to God and no to comfort. There are times where we're going to have to do that. So hopefully you see this picture of why we believe that God is one and how important that is, not just to believe that up here, but believe that in here, that God is the one God of my heart. And now we get to the fun part of the message. Um, let's talk about the Trinity, okay? That's going to be fun. Uh, love that. I like that I, I got this one. That's awesome. But what's up with the Trinity, you know, because do we really believe in one God or do we believe in three in one? Like what, what does that look like? I don't, I don't get that. And so I want to talk to you today a little bit about the Trinity. One theologian said this, I really like this and this sums it up. The Trinity is the greatest mystery of the Christian faith. Therefore, leave it alone. <laughs> That's it. That's all you need to know. Um, the Trinity is the greatest mystery of the Christian faith. Therefore, leave it well enough alone. And that's true. It's a mystery. The three in one, it's a mystery that we can't get our minds around. I don't think we were designed to get our minds around it. You know, some people have tried to use analogies. Analogies always fall short. Like one about the egg, the shell, the white stuff, the yellow stuff. I, who's, who's who? How does that work? I don't know. Like some people have used some weird analogies. Um, we will never fully understand how it works. But we can also, even though we don't understand how it works, we can sit back and marvel at the beauty of it. Because it is beautiful. Let's just walk through this. In Scripture, God is revealed in three persons, in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are present through all of Scripture. Through all the Bible, they are present. But they're revealed progressively. They're revealed progressively. Way back in the creation of man, God is presented in the plural. It says in Genesis 1.26, then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. So even way back in Genesis, we have this hint of the Trinity. I think the beginning of Hebrews describes this progressive revelation really well. It says this, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So did you catch all that about Jesus? Jesus is is how God speaks to us today. How he's, his word, as Dan talked about last week, that the truth is, not, uh, is a person. Um, that the truth is a person and that person is Jesus. And that when we meet Jesus, we get to know the truth. It says that prior to Jesus, God spoke to us in many ways through the prophets. And we have all of that recorded in the Old Testament where he spoke to his people, to the world through his prophets, but now he's given us Jesus, his son, so that the whole world might know him. It's part of God's redemptive plan for the world. And it's progressive. Scripture unfolds like a, like a gripping thriller with that, you know, psychological twist, you know, that everyone looks for in the middle of it. It's like that, that thriller where, oh, it's Jesus. 
Jesus is the only way to know God. Did you get that? That's, that's a big statement. Jesus is the only way to know God. It says in Acts 4.12, Peter's preaching to the Jewish leaders and he says, This Jesus is the stone rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So not only is God the only God, Jesus is the only way to God. There is salvation in no one else. There's no one else who can save us. And you might look at this and be like, man, that feels exclusive. That feels exclusive, and it is exclusive. It's exclusive, and it's inclusive at the same time. It's exclusive because he says he's the only way to God. But it's inclusive because he invites everybody, no matter what situation, what you've been through, what you've done, to be saved through him. It's just knowing Jesus for who he is. He has opened the door for you to know God. What we see, Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature. When we get to know Jesus, we get to know God. But what about the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is like the third member of the band that like people don't really like mention that much. He's like the drummer in the band, you know? He's like, uh, he's like Ringo, you know? I'm sorry, that's a bad analogy. <laughs> Falls way short. Sorry, I got to break it up a little bit. Um, but he gets a little bit less publicity than the Father and the Son. But let's look, at, let's, let's look at the Spirit's role. As Jesus was preparing to finish his work on earth, he explains the role of the Holy Spirit. It's uh, John 16, 8. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, in Greek it's the parakletos or the comforter, the spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. See, the Holy Spirit is active in the entire world. He's God reaching out to everyone on earth, drawing him back to himself. He's the one who, who convicts the world of sin. You know, we don't, we don't have to go out and judge people because the Holy Spirit is working from the inside. You know, he is drawing people to himself. Every salvation is a miracle of God because he's drawing people to himself. And he's ultimately what will confirm in your heart the reality of God is that Holy Spirit in you, telling you what is true. It's that Holy Spirit who empowers, he guides, and he comforts. So why don't you take a step back and you look at the full picture, the three members of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and that they're all equally God. They're all equally God, and they're unified in every respect with different roles. But here's something that you don't hear every day, and I hope you know I'm not arrogant when I say this, but the Trinity kind of makes sense. The Trinity kind of makes sense. I'm not claiming I understand it, but it makes sense. Why? Here's why. The Trinity is consistent with the relational and loving nature of God. The Trinity is consistent with the loving and relational nature of God. Let's think about it. Let's go back to Deuteronomy. What does God want from us more than anything else? He wants our love. He wants our heart. He wants us to be fully connected to him. Why? Because his primary motivator towards us is love. You know, for God so loved the world that he sent his son. 
that he loves us. His primary motivator towards us is love. And we've, we've heard this phrase over and over and over again, whether you're inside the church or outside the church, you've probably heard this. You've heard the phrase that God is love. God is love. It comes from the, the, uh, the verse uh, 1 John 4, 8, which says, Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Notice it doesn't say God is loving. It says God is love. Like he, from head to toe, God is love. It's, it's the core of who he is. That he actually is love in his whole being. Now think about when we were not here yet. Before we were ever created, before any of this happened. How was God's love reflected? Because if there's nothing to love, what good is love, right? Love has to have an object. You can't just say, oh yeah, I, I am love if there's nothing to love, if there's no relationship. And so what's cool is that God, God's not Tom Hanks from Castaway. He's not, before we were created, he's not on this deserted island with a volleyball for a best friend. You know, he's not doing that. Like he exists in relationship. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they exist together in love. Like God is love in the very core of who he is. He's relationship. The Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Father. The Spirit goes between. And they're unified in love. And the Father surrenders his only Son to die on a cross so that we might be included in that love. That God would reach out and love us. And this is when we can take a step back and just marvel at the beauty of God's love in the Trinity and just who he is and who he is. We don't have to understand it. It's like looking at this, like, you know, we live in an awesome place, you know, standing on top of a mountain and looking out over this whole range. We don't have to understand it, but we can still say, man, that's beautiful. We can still look at it. So what's amazing is that we're created for that same relationship. That, that when, when God creates us in his image, he creates us to be relational, to, to actually crave love from him, and that we don't find satisfaction apart from a loving relationship with God. This is sort of the main, main point today. It's that security comes from surrendering to the one true God. When we know how much God loves us and we surrender to that love, that's when we find security which is what I think we're all after. We're all after that security. Why is, you know, what's the reason for building up a comfortable life? Well, it's kind of because we want security. It's kind of because we want to create a buffer, you know, between us and the street or whatever. Like we, uh, we crave security. And when we surrender all of our other gods, everything we're living for, we find that security in relationship with God. You know, read through the Psalms over and over again. He is our rock. He is our strong tower. He is our refuge. You know, we rest under the shadow of his wings. Like, in God, in relationship with God, there is security. There isn't security if we're trying to stand on shaky truths. If we're trying to create something for ourselves. Those, all those things that we build up will crumble. Or culture will change. Our culture exists moment by moment, and it's always changing. What people stood on 50 years ago is not what people stand on today. So my question is, what do you need to surrender today to step into that love of God? What is it that God would call you to let go of so that you could experience a fuller life in relationship with him? 
Because we know that God loves us desperately, that he runs after us, and that life is waiting, that God promises, Jesus promised abundant life. You know, imagine what your life would look like if you had that secure relationship with God. You know, you wouldn't need to find, try to mesh everything together. You would be comfortable no 